The macro backdrop appears to be holding up relatively well, and the Fed seems to have pivoted. But given how much markets rallied into the end of last year, will a strong run continue? And what are the risks to watch out for? When I consider the key risks, what I would include on that are really four. One, a spike to inflation. Two, below expected earnings growth. Three, a worse than forecasted deterioration of the economy. And four, valuation, especially in the tech sector. I'm John Schlegel, Global Head of Positioning Intelligence, and you're listening to Market Matters, our markets series here on J.P. Morgan's Making Sense podcast channel. Today, we're unpacking the ever-evolving world of macro and positioning trends and what they could mean for market returns going forward. I'm joined by Andrew Tyler, Head of U.S. Market Intelligence. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for having me, John. The last time we were on this podcast together was in mid-November, along with Eloise Golder, who heads up our broader data assets and alpha team. You maintained a bullish view on equity markets given the prospect for U.S. economic growth to remain strong on the back of a strong U.S. consumer and the prospect of further disinflation. While we've seen a rocky start to this year in markets, what is your view on the most recent macro data? And has that view changed much in the past two months? Thanks, John. So let's start with last week's macro data. So last week we had non-farm payrolls was really the key indicator. And that reveals an economy that continues to defy expectations, surprising to the upside in terms of growth. And while we're seeing a cooling in the labor market as proxied by job growth and wage growth, this can still be characterized mainly by normalization to pre-COVID levels rather than a deterioration from there. We still have more jobs available than unemployed people. That ratio is about 1.5 jobs per unemployed person. That ratio has averaged 0.5 to 1 uh, in the period between the global financial crisis and COVID. So call it 2010 to 2019. Further, non-farm payrolls have averaged about 183,000 jobs created per month from 2010 to 2019. And the 2023 average was more than 224,000. So while the 2023 Q4 average was 165,000 jobs, the trend is an acceleration in job growth with the most recent print 216,000 jobs. Now, kind of going back to the second part of your question as to whether or not I expect the rockiness of January to continue into the rest of the quarter, what I would say is that over the last 25 years, January has effectively been a coin flip as to whether it's up or whether it's down. So it's been up 12 out of those 25 years. And when it's up, it's up about 4%. When it's down, it's down about 4%. Uh, so I think it's kind of uh, you know a little bit more choppiness here. But I think ultimately, that'll give way to a, a structurally more bullish market for the rest of the quarter. Got it, Drew. Um, So interesting perspective on January there. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But the macro data, as you kind of go through it, seems to be holding up relatively well. And in terms of what might impact the consumer and the broader economy, things remain strong. So what are the upcoming catalysts this week and over the next month that you're looking for? Absolutely. So first, let's start with this week. Uh, so it's really CPI and PPI. There's two inflation data points on Thursday and Friday. And so my view remains that disinflation is firmly entrenched in the economy. So more generally speaking, we're waiting for the housing price declines experienced last year to hit the official data because these data prints do tend to be lagged maybe six to eight months. Uh, and I think that that should continue to pull headline inflation lower. Now, with regards to the rest of the month, you know, we kick off earnings season this Friday with bank earnings. And expectations really for the quarter have moved lower since the end of September until now. So EPS earnings per share growth uh, expectations has fallen from about 8.1% as of September 30th to about 2.4% where they are currently. And I think that these negative revisions may have overshot to the downside. And this is mainly tied to my view on how I think the fourth quarter GDP growth is going to end up playing out. So typically when you see GDP growth that is very, very strong, then you tend to see 
earnings that tend to beat expectations as well. And right now, if you look at the Atlanta Fed's real-time GDP tracker, it's showing that fourth quarter growth is expected to be about 2.5% versus a long-term average that typically ranges from about 1.8 to 2.0%. Lastly, we have the Fed meeting at the end of this month. And I think the most dovish outcome here would basically include a discussion on what is the threshold for rate cuts, where we see the bond market now expecting about four of those cuts this year, and the timing kind of remains uncertain. But I also think that, you know, part of that dovish case will also include commentary surrounding uh, quantitative tightening, aka QT. And Dallas Fed President Lori Logan was on the record over the weekend just suggesting the Fed should consider very strongly reducing the pace, so what most investors would call tapering. And then on the more hawkish side, you can just see the Fed warning on the easing of financial conditions and the risk that that poses to restarting inflation, uh, kind of driven by, you know, accelerated consumption. Great to hear your takes on these catalysts, Drew. It seems you remain positive, and I just note for our listeners that the earnings expectations you mentioned are based on bottom-up numbers for the fourth quarter of 2023. So, Drew, for clarity, can you summarize your tactical bull case for equities, and what are the key risks to that view? Absolutely. So I think the bull case can best be summarized as this. One, positive and above trend GDP, plus two, earnings growth that is inflected higher, plus three, a Fed whose next actions will be easing equals a bull market. So when I consider the key risks, what I would include on that are really four. One, a spike to inflation. Two, below expected earnings growth. Three, a worse than forecasted deterioration of the economy. And four, valuation, especially in the tech sector. So when we consider timing, let's kind of consider each of these risks kind of independently. So first is the combination of strong consumption combined with a spike to commodity prices could be the trigger point for structurally higher inflation. On the consumption side, we'll watch wage growth and retail sales as two proxies for that. And both have monthly data. And then we also have real-time credit card data from our J.P. Morgan Economics Research team. The biggest driver of oil prices would be a surge in either Asia-Pacific or European GDP growth, which would most likely be catalyzed by fiscal stimulus or an expansion of geopolitical tensions. Regarding earnings, so the Q4 season kicks off on Friday, as we kind of previously discussed. So over the next four or five weeks, we're really going to get a really strong idea of where we stand as an economy. And then when we think about general economic deterioration, this is really already under investigation, and people will kind of use uh, proxies such as is ISM data to kind of get a feel for like where the economy is going. And the last point that I'll mention is on valuation. So this will be tied to earnings performance and the level of real yields. And real yields are nominal or kind of what you see on uh, on screens minus inflation rate. And so with real yields expected to move lower, investors may not consider this to be a headwind if companies can continue to deliver strong EPS growth, which would come in at or above expectations. Thanks for those very clear views, Drew. I would just say from my positioning lens, it's interesting that I do think there's room for flows to remain positive over the next few quarters and support a rally if GDP earnings and central bank actions continue to play out as you expect. But I must admit that perhaps like others, I'm not terribly surprised that we've seen a bit of weakness at the start of this year. Well, that's fascinating. So what does concern you? So, you know, I think about positioning as sort of a pendulum that can swing from one extreme to another. And if I think about, you know, a couple months ago, back in late October, there was quite a bit of bearishness that was already priced in or positioned for, I would argue, based on many things that we track. And after the rally that we saw that I think really surprised people just how strong, persistent it was into the end of the year, a lot of that pendulum had swung to a much more bullish stance. So 
a couple things I would just mention. So one thing in terms of the hedge fund data we track from our prime brokerage group, we saw short covering from late October to late December that was larger in magnitude than pretty much every other period we've seen over the past six years other than March of 2020. So a lot of shorts being covered. And once that tends to end, we often see a bit of weakness in equity markets to the tune of perhaps a a one-month maximum drawdown of 5%, um, which could be similar to your kind of positive 4 to negative 4% January that you spoke about earlier. The other thing I mentioned is we saw the net flows, i.e. the short flows relative to long flows, turn a lot more positive amongst hedge funds as well, which was something I was missing prior to the December rally. Amongst other investors, such as retail investors or the ETF flows you can track broadly on markets, those also turned very positive into the late part of last year. And then market pricing of different sort of riskier assets within equities tend to show very strong rallies, which suggests there's a bit more pent-up bullishness that was coming to the fore. So all those things are kind of reasons why, as we think about it in the very near term from a tactical perspective, it's not terribly surprising to see a little bit of this choppiness and weakness. Okay, so the tactical view is extremely clear. Thank you for that. As you kind of shift gears and look a little bit longer term, how would you kind of characterize the medium view? So I think the medium view will come down a lot to the macro and fundamental forces. So ultimately, positioning can remain bullish or bullishly tilted, if you will, for a prolonged period of time. We've seen this in multiple periods in the past 10 years, and I think there's reason to believe this could come to fruition again this time. And a couple of things that I would point to that just suggest there could be more upside are, one, if you look at longer-term flows from retail investors or ETF flows, both are pretty neutral right now if you look at 12-month rolling metrics. So arguably a lot more room for those to kind of move up given some of the outflows we had seen previously. Um, The other thing I would mention from the hedge fund side, despite all the short covering we've seen, we're only around the 60th to 70th percentile in terms of the net or directional level of positioning. So very far away from an extreme positive level there. And then if you think about sort of cash levels, whether it's mutual fund cash levels or money market assets that are on the sidelines, there's still quite a bit that could move more bullishly or come off the sidelines into markets. So I think there's multiple reasons to kind of still maintain a positive view over the medium term. So, Drew, so far, our focus is in pretty high level. Before we wrap up, could you give us a few quick thoughts on sectors or themes that you think could perform well? Absolutely. So I still like tech and cyclicals, but I do recognize that my views on the economy skew a bit more bullish than current consensus. From a thematic perspective, I prefer quality names within any long sector. And I also think that equities will outperform credit. In terms of a geographical preference, I do prefer U.S. over Europe. And within fixed income, I would look to own U.S. government bonds and gold as hedges to any equity portfolio. Thanks, Drew. Just to comment on a few of those points from a positioning lens, on cyclicals, I continue to think financials could perform well from here as ETF flows normalize further. I also think that if you look at other pockets, though, consumer discretionary is an area that seems a bit stretched, at least in the near term, for some of the flows. So perhaps something to be mindful of. Tech is mixed, so it could really go either way. I don't think positioning necessarily says a whole lot at the moment for that sector. And lastly, I would say healthcare is kind of an interesting sector that performed quite poorly last year. Um, But the flows were very negative. And I think some of the oscillations we've seen in the past, if it were to continue, suggest that perhaps some of those ETF outflows from healthcare sector ETFs could shift at least a little less bearishly or perhaps even somewhat bullishly over the course of the next 12 months. Drew, once again, it's been a pleasure discussing markets with you today. Thanks for having me. Thank you also to our listeners for tuning into this biweekly podcast from our group. If you have feedback or questions, please do get in touch via our website at jpmorgan.com. 
slash market dash data dash intelligence. There you can always send us a message via the contact us form. With that, we'll close. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Market Matters. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to J.P. Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates, together J.P. Morgan, They are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Referenced products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer. For the avoidance of doubt, opinions expressed by any external speakers are the personal views of those speakers and do not represent the views of J.P. Morgan.